But honestly, in the life of Christ, mm. uh, I would have loved to have witnessed this one. Really? It depends where you're standing. Oh, I would have loved. Yeah, to standing behind a table. <laughs> yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to have been like hovering above, looking. But I, I think the reason why I would have loved to have witnessed this was because it, it shows the the rawness mm. and the the reality of who Christ was, in contrast to who He's been shaped to be in this modern age. You know, this fluffy, weak need, almost kind of feminine type Jesus. And who never ever ruffled any feathers, never did anything to upset anybody. And this account paints an entirely different picture. I'm sure you guys remember those sitcom type shows where. I remember they, that one. You remember that one, Mark? Remember, that was, that was, one. One. That was, that was probably my favorite one. one. That was the best one. That was the best one. It's a great one. I love that one. That one's my. Stop it. What is happening? You guys crazy? Well, actually, that plays into what I'm aiming for. Yes, now I remember the name of it. You guys remember that show? I think it was called Whose Line Is It? Or Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah, that one. Yeah, it was uh, it was sketch, not sketch comedy, but it was uh, basically comedy. they would give them a, a a word or a theme or something, and they just had to act. When yeah. I was in high school, we had an improv team, and we would compete against other high schools. It was called comedy sports. Comedy sports, yeah. And I was on the team. Seriously, yeah, it was super fun. Boy, that's you a just... test of your confidence. Seriously, that scared most of us living daylights out of most of us to stand up in front of people oh, and no. have no notes, and you have to talk about something. And you would just make it up right on the, spot. on the spot. Yeah, there's different games. So there's there's one that was really fun. You would just improv a sketch, and you had like a referee or a judge, and he would blow a whistle or call a change up, and whatever you just said, you'd have to say it differently or add in a different line or whatever the case you'd have to do just to to switch up the direction. Oh. Of the... I had a friend who could talk on any subject for 60 seconds. You just so inside of ping pong ball, go. And you have to talk about the inside of ping pong ball for 60 seconds. He had no hesitation whatsoever, 60 seconds. There's oh. a few rules that you get. So like you're, you never say no to another person's uh, joke or route. You actually do this. I don't know if you notice you do this, but like if I said something like, Oh yeah, you know the uh, that ten pound taco that you ate yesterday. You'll oh, it was say, so good, man! I dove right into it. I was swimming in it, in fact, and oh, I loved it. I got that, a little bit of you know taco sauce on my head, a little bit of sour cream in my nose. But <laughs> that's one of the uh, you know the improv commandments <laughs> is to never say no. But if somebody challenges you with a joke, you take it to the next step. You just keep it going. You just keep and it flowing. going. Horrible. That's fine. horrible. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to put you guys on the spot, but I do want to ask you this. When you hear the word pocket knife. I think of you. <laughs> of me. Yeah. Sharp. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar. Oscar. Yes. <laughs> what things come to mind when you think Boy of pocket Scouts, knife? Pocket knife. Okay. Boy Scouts. And, and those pocket knives that have got like 600 devices with them so you can change the tire of your car yeah, with yeah. a pocket knife. They've got everything. What are yeah. these called? Swiss Army knife? Swiss Army yeah, knife. That's, that's those are the big ones. I think of TSA because they stole my, I mean, <laughs> I had to surrender my Swiss. Oh, did you lose I one? Did. You Mark. took it on a plane? Well, I thought that it was in my, I forgot that it was in my bag. Oh, yeah. And they, Mark, you just reminded it. me of a story. So Julia and I, we, <laughs> I was taking her with me somewhere. I don't this know. This is your we were, oldest daughter. My oldest daughter, Julia. We were going to go travel somewhere. And we're, we're going through the TSA pre-check or whatever, not pre-check, but you know, where they scan your stuff. So they look at, at her bag and they go, oh, it looks like you have a knife in there. And we're like, we looked at each other like, no, it can't be They're like, yeah, you know, sometimes if it's a book and there's pages folded, it looks like a knife. And we're like, obviously, you know, that's what it is. So they reach in 
and they pull out the longest kitchen knife out of Julia's back. What? What was he doing? And I'm there? like, Julia. She goes, oh, I took it to school to cut an apple. I forgot it in my to bag. Cut an but apple. it was a big one. It wasn't like, you know, Whoa. the little, you know. I'm like, oh, Julia. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, she's so nice. Oh, okay, no problem. Keeps going through her bag. Pepper spray? <laughs> What's this doing? I'm like, if that guy pulls duct tape out of Julia's yeah. bag, we're done. Julia's the butcher of Fullerton oh, or whatever she went. Man, it was you crazy. reminded me of something years ago when I was traveling by myself. Some church or some guy to church gave me a hand grenade on a plaque <laughs> that oh, said, if you have a complaint, pull the pin out. No. Yeah, just pull the pin out if you've got a complaint. And as we were going, as I checked my baggage and they were going to, you know, x ray it, I thought, hang on. That hand grenade's in my luggage. So I had to go up and say, excuse me, there's a, you're actually going to see a hand grenade? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, Don't tell me they let you take it on the plane. No, no, this is, this is pre-911. And they let you take it? I, yeah, they let me take it. But they just oh. suspected that it was just, you know, yeah. fake. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, you know, I, actually, this isn't reassuring at all. But Trevor, Trevor Sheets, our wonderful director of social media strategies, three times, I think, got on a plane when I was traveling with him and he forgot to take his pocket knife out. And he and got every, through? He got through on the plane. He had his pocket knife well, on the plane. But and Trevor's uh, like the last person that would be a terrorist. <laughs> you would be think. That big old knife that we had for the filming of season four or five, whatever. The one with the divot in it? Yeah. They, I was able to bring that wow. onto the plane. They said, what is this? And I go, oh, it's just a magic prop. And I showed how it works. And I was squirting blood, fake blood, what? onto my arm. Which is like even worse because it looks like real damage. <laughs> so, Mark, you just got to describe the knife for people that are listening. It was like a long blade, but it had a curve in it, like, and when you put it on your wrist, the curve went over your wrist, so it looked like you're cutting into your wrist. Looks like you're actually cutting off your it's, arm. It's yeah. really frightening. Yeah, you used it in season four of a television. Of course, program. yes. Yeah. Okay. Trivia. Pop quiz. So I, this all has a purpose, oh. guys. So the pocket knife. What has been called the modern Digital pocket knife. The iPhone? Yeah. yeah. Well, smartphone. smartphone. I wouldn't restrict it to the iPhone. But yeah, the, the smartphone. Wall. You mean is, the Swiss Army knife? Well, yeah. Well, they call it a pocket knife. I think it's a pocket knife, right? I, maybe there's another technical term. Swiss Army is one brand. But because, you know, like the, the Army knives, they, they've got all these Utilities, different things, yeah. all these tools. And if you think about it, within a phone, think of all the things that we have. You know, you've got a calculator. You've got a compass, you've got a navigator, you've got a computer, you've got a telephone, uh, you've got a calculator. You've, I mean, you could, it Did goes, you mention oh, camera? You've got a camera, video camera, and it's still camera, a recorder, voice recorder. I mean, you remember the Voyager, the satellite that we sent that is now out past our solar system, yeah. which just continues, and they put like a bunch of history of, of the world on there, but it's also sending back information. It's still happening. It's the furthest satellite we've ever sent. I think it was the iPhone 5 that they said had more technology than the Voyager does. <laughs> when do they send Voyager? 60s or 70s? Uh, and it had no iPhone on it? No, there's no iPhone on it. <laughs> Bring <yeah>. it back. <laughs> we made a mistake. Wait, was it yeah. Elon Musk that sent out a, car. Uh, a Tesla yeah. in orbit? Yeah, the Roadster. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, but I was listening to something somewhere. <laughs> Please don't be so specific. Yeah. That one time don't use one names. I, I was he had a face. To something face? somewhere, sometime. Oh boy, it was a guy with a face. A boy, yeah. But they were talking about how um, something. I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> guys, you guys distract me. Thank you. No, no. 
No, it's gone. <laughs> no, it's gone. Right. Hang on, hang on. Easy. One you know son, two shoes, three, two, I, four, wait, No, I can remind you. Uh, you were at that one place with those one people at that one time, and you're talking about that one subject. One of the guys oh, had a no. face. Uh, I lost it. And yes. it was good. It was so. This yeah. is the second thing I've lost so we far. We were talking about the phone, the, the really. knife, yeah. Voyager, yeah. space. <laughs> yeah. You Elon were going to give Musk. me a $100 bill. Elon, uh, e- Elon Musk. Elon thing. Musk. That yeah. probably what distracted you. Isn't it horrible when you forget something? <sighs> I hate it. With you, still, have you, ever, uh, you ever opened up the cupboard and put the wrong, put the glasses in the cup cupboard? You know see? what I did the other day? No. Yes. So don't tell us again. No, no. I couldn't <laughs> believe I did this. I went to to heat up some water on the tea kettle, and I picked up the tea kettle. You know how you put it on the thing and it heats it up. I uh-huh. picked up the tea kettle and I opened the microwave. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Oh. I had to call Rachel. I paused. I'm like, Rachel, come over here. Look at what I was about to do. I Kelly always finds the most random things in the refrigerator, which is me. Like oh. I'll put the pancake mix in the refrigerator. Or I'll put like cinnamon in there. You're just oh. thinking of something else. Your mind's occupied. And just you're doing moving yeah, along. Muscle, yeah. muscle memory. Yeah, she found one of the kids in the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Anyway, Let hopefully, it go easy. hopefully it'll come back to me. But uh, anyway, my point is, look at all that we have. And friends, I'm doing this for one sole purpose, to tell you of an amazing app. And I'm not even get, getting paid to do this. I don't even know these folks. But the Bible Memory app is a must. I mean, this to me has been the greatest joy of the modern age that we live in, is, is being able to have access to things that feed my soul. Mm. What is the Bible Memory app? It's an amazing app. That it didn't work when you try to remember something Bible. before. <laughs> <laughs> it helps you memorize the Bible. Mm-hmm. And you guys know I do a lot of scripture memory. And so it, it, it's just amazing. You can customize what verses you want. You could do entire books and then break them down. You can record your voice and it'll play it back. And then it does these things where words will disappear, appear, there are different levels. It is amazing. If you haven't checked it out and get the pro version, there's a free version, but the pro version helps, allows you to do more. Do you remember what it's called? Do you remember? Uh, (laughs) You know, one time I forgot actually, I was trying to tell someone about it. It's called the Bible Memory app. The Bible Memory app, yeah. And Mark, you use the Word of Promise app. Rachel uses it too. Oh, I love it because I just I can listen to it and I can put one verse, single verse on a loop and it just plays over and over and over and over again yeah. and play it while you sleep. Well, I listen to it. That's what I listen to, to scripture through. I've done, yeah. I think, 30... The Bible Memory app? No, the uh, Word of Promise app. Oh. I don't use the app. I, have, I had bought the CDs and then had them downloaded. But the reason why I don't use the apps because it only does 1.25 speed and I listen to double speed because it's really slow. Uh, but, but it's good, so... Bible memory app. Ray, what would you do without a smartphone, without your iPad, without your computer? How did nothing. you live in an era I don't know. without those? I'm so pleased I learned and stayed with it for my age. A lot of people give up when they get to a certain age. I didn't give up, and I'm so pleased I didn't. Oh. So great. exciting. Yeah, it's really good. I can write a book in three weeks with... You use your iPad. <clears throat> just dictate in my iPad. Yeah. I wrote my what? entire book, Fight Like a Man, A Bold Biblical Battle Plan for... Personal purity. Where are we at with that, by the way? Finish your sentence and then tell us where you're at. I wrote that whole book on notes on my iPhone. On your phone. You wrote a book on a phone. In notes, the notes app, right? Impressive. But I did it because it was convenient. And now I've transferred it over to Word. It's in a Word app. But... But that's how I did it, and it was the best thing I've ever done. I'll yes, probably well, I've write done that too. future books. Because you, you can dictate right into notes, and it yeah. picks up every word. I yeah. wrote an entire text <laughs> no. on my phone. Well, now the you can thing. talk. Oh, you can talk. So easy. Time. Where are you at? So I'm done writing the book. I've gone through different stages of revision, and I'm just, I'm just about done doing the notes. And uh, then I'm going to do one more pass, and Lord willing, hand it off. 
Uh-huh. I can't believe it's only taken you two years to unless write a five-page picture I, book. Yeah. <laughs> unless I put my hand on the side, I will not I believe know. you're finished. Look, you can't I let it go. I, this, is, this has been, this, let this be your consolation that we'll get done right, because I have not skipped one day since January 1st, 2021. Every day I'm, fin- I'm going and I'm, I'm progressing. I mean, it, it will be done, but I want it done right. Just send it to Lynn. Let her Well, I, I may have Lynn, Lynn, Lynn yeah, to tamper with it a little bit. Lynn Copeland. We'll see. Easy, I feel in my heart you should put it all into rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and make it all a wrap. All right, friends. This is from Debbie Renee B. Oh, no number today, surprisingly. Debbie B. My kids think I'm crazy. Yes, we can relate. <laughs> my kids think I'm crazy. Your show encourages me so much. I listen to it regularly with my earbuds in while I'm cooking or cleaning. My kids are always home with me since we homeschool, and they'll often catch me cracking up and even at times talking back to you guys as if we're in the room together. You're officially my friends. So I thought I should tell you. Oh, man, that's heartwarming. I'm often encouraged by the content of the show, but also enjoy the lighthearted mood and the laughs. And I guess I'll add that Easy's jokes are my favorite. Mm. Had to give him a special shout out to increase the odds of my review being read on the show. Very, very smart. Did you there, hear Debbie. that? Yeah. So we don't need to pray for her. De- <laughs> she don't pray for her deceptions. Yeah. Seriously, guys, keep up the God glorifying work. P.S. My teenagers now listen to your show themselves. And I found out one of my daughters even wrote into the show to ask for advice on how to witness to unbelievers at her workplace who mock at Christianity. Wow. Super encouraging. That's Aww. awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Debbie, Debbie D. encourage that you listen. And, uh, you know, guys, we don't see any of you, obviously, on the other side. We know some of you uh, who are friends of ours or that we've met, but um, we feel like we're friends as what well, do you mean too. We don't see you on the other side. This sounds like death. See you on the other side. See you on the other side. I was doing an interview on a program the other day, and they said, they said to me at the end of the interview, Ray, any last words? And I thought, when you're, when you're my age, you don't say that to, to the person you interview. Yeah. yeah. So something that, you don't know. What's that saying? Yeah. Um, someone says, good to see you. It's better to be seen than viewed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. This podcast is brought to you by So Many Lions. Can you guys say uh, Assad? Assad? Assad. 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 Assad is lion in Arabic. Oh, Assad, right? Syria, Assad. It means lion. Assad. So many lions, so few Daniels by Ray Comfort. Dedicated to who? It's the to first. whom? Oscar. Oscar Navarro. Yeah, Oscar, that nice was a moment for you, Honestly, wasn't it? It's the first book Ray written that made me cry. First ah. page. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Tell us how, how Ray unveiled it. I mean, he... You guys, you, out, you guys were out. Weren't you out no, he sent you... me a text. Oh, oh you did. I took a picture of it and sent him a text. Oh, I thought I you just gave him the book and he opened no, it. No, no, I, I received author copies, so I just took a picture oh. of it and sent it to him. But yeah, I was right. truly blessed and humbled by it. Yeah, it brought me to tears. Not many people can say they had a book dedicated to them. And there's only like 197,000 people that had a book <laughs> by Ray Comfort dedicated to that them. That was going to be my joke. I was going to say, since there's 5 million books he's written, he's <laughs> yeah. dedicated a book to everyone, basically. Told you no. millions of times, don't exaggerate. Yeah. <laughs> so many lines, so few Daniels. Ray, what's it about? I haven't read it. <laughs> I'd eat nine. No, never before in a day and age we're living, we need more Daniels. Yeah. People who won't compromise, fling open the window, I'm going to pray, even if this lion's den's waiting for me, I'm going to do it. And that's what we need. Mm. That's the spirit that we need oh, to man. be. I love that with Daniel. After he knew the decree was signed, mm-hmm. he went up to his room, opened the windows, and oh, flung man. open the windows. Yeah. Didn't, didn't creak him open. That's great. I'm um, letting the sun shine in. Mm. Yeah, so uh, there you have it, friends. So many lines, so few Daniels. And the Evidence Study Bible at livingwaters.com. 
We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. (sighs) Ah. Well, we haven't started yet. <laughs> I know. We haven't even started yet. So today, guys, we're, we're dealing with a, a topic. <laughs> with a topic. We're dealing with an interesting topic, which I have entitled, Jesus Wielding a Whip and Tossing Tables. I don't know if that happened, because I went on YouTube, and I, t- I said, Jesus clearing the temple. And none of those Hollywood actors had whips. They were just tipping over tables. And I think, don't they read the Bible? Why don't they stay with Scripture? If they're going to do something, at least do it properly and don't make it up as you go. Yeah. You know? Hmm. You know That's going to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I think of the accounts that I would have loved to have witnessed, obviously the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. Lazarus. Um, Lazarus, Nicodemus, yeah, feeling of the multitude, I think feeling talking the multitude. donkey, and yeah, talking donkey, Nathan, and Nathan. David, David, yeah, David, David uh, and Nathan, creation, David and Goliath, uh, yeah, uh, Jonah, um, Jonah, um. <laughs> 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 those few little tiny accounts. But honestly, in the life of Christ, uh, I would have loved to have witnessed this one. Really? Depends where you're standing. Oh, I would have loved. Yeah, you're standing behind a table. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, I would have loved to have been like hovering above, looking. But I, I think the reason why I would have loved to have witnessed this was because it shows the, the rawness mm. and the reality of who Christ was in contrast to who he's been shaped to be in this modern age. You know, this fluffy, weak-kneed, almost kind of feminine type Jesus and who never, ever ruffled any feathers, never did anything to upset anybody. This account paints an entirely different picture. It shows he was a man's man. And the whole thought is that he goes in the temple, gets a whip, he he fashions a whip, and then clears the temple and tipping over tables. Why doesn't someone say, there's only one of him and there's many of us, let's stop him. (laughs) Mm. But his strength of character, and also he was a carpenter, and strength of hands to uh, do something like this just thrills my heart. I don't know if I would have wanted to be there. It causes me a moment to pause, if I'm being honest with you, because when Jesus speaks, Jesus speaks harsh words a number of times. There's no short number of times in which Jesus speaks harshly in the New Testament, but more often than not, it's towards religious leaders. Yeah. It's towards people in the church. It's, he chastised Pharisees and Sadducees. He rebukes his own disciples. He has strong words t- towards religious leaders that are causing division amongst believers. Only a handful of times that he talked to people on the outside of the church. So to me, I do a podcast. I work for a ministry. I could be categorized as a religious leader. So when he's cracking the whip and turning tables, he's rebuking those who who are orators of the word of God, they've messed up. And and so I don't know, I, I would be afraid that that the crashing of the table would be pointed at me. I mean, as I was thinking through this, you apply the Pharisees 
in their roles. You think about like the nonprofit organizations out there that are making 10, 15, 20 million dollars. Those are the people that Jesus went after more than anybody else. You know, the Pharisees were building theological hedges. What about all the pastors and social media personalities that build their own personal brand by making secondary issues primary issues? What about Christian leaders who are afraid to challenge the thinking of their donors? Don't upset the donors. So to me, I, man, like this is one of the, again, I, I said it in a previous podcast is that being a follower of Jesus does not allow you to be comfortable. This is one of those as a quote, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm categorized as a religious leader or not, but I work in ministry. And when I see him flipping over tables and pointing his finger at the Pharisees, I can't help but think to myself, have I created theological hedges? Mm. Am I fleecing the flock? Right. Am I holding people back from the grace of God? Mm-hmm. Like we often one. have those thoughts about us. <laughs> That's <on>. fair, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, you know, from, from two angles, for me, um, I, I, would, I would have loved to seen it, first, for the reasons I shared in terms of just seeing Jesus raw and real and, and kind of in that candid moment. But, but also, to your point, Oscar, as a wake-up call, you know, yeah. I'm talking about time travel and being able to, you know, see and then come back to our time and to to gain from from that, you know, and to have seen the zeal that for the house of God that had eaten them up, you yeah. know, and to to learn those lessons to to care about what is holy, to care about what what God cares about, and to to be moved to to the point of taking action. Obviously, and this is you know this is a place where. We also have to be careful. This is where people get into dangerous zones, right? Well, look, Jesus did that. I'm called to follow Jesus, so I'm called to, to go in there and start turning tables and whipping people. Is that way them. you drill this one in the ground? <laughs> <laughs> right? But I think we can glean principles from certain things. So let me, let me just read the account to us in John. But This is John 2, 13 to 16. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Mm. What a scene that would have been of just like, whoa, wait a minute. And in fact, in Mark, I believe it's Mark chapter six, uh, no, Mark 12, we see the account where Jesus speaks to the lawyer and says to him, right, that you need to keep the commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. That's a fulfillment of the law. He says, which is the greatest commandment of all? And this was at a point where after Jesus had cleansed the temple, it says they sought to kill him, right? The, The account in Mark. And now they had sent, but they couldn't do it in front of the people. That was their thing, right? They feared the people at the same time. But at that point, they had sent their protégés to try to trap him in something that he's mm. going to say so that they could kill him. And that's when he gave that amazing answer. And they, no one even dared ask him anything anymore after that because of how he confounded So him. do you think this sealed his fate, so to speak? I think... He, he calls, I, he says, my father's house. No. And he was touching their profits. They were making a lot of money through the money changes, through oh, the temple tax, uh, millions of dollars when it's been equated to today's money. So, uh, yeah, and no doubt they were listening to what he said and holding on, because it came back during his trial. He said he had ripped down the temple, destroy no. it in three yeah. days, raise it up. And what happens right before this 
is is a really interesting story. And the story is, of course, the cursing the fig tree. And most people, it's like you read it, it's just this really, it comes off at first as a first time reader of the Bible is like this, what is happening here? Because Jesus walks by this fig tree and it's got leaves, but no fruit. And he curses it. He wants it to die. And you're like, but did he just get like really upset for some, what is happening? And then you move into the account of the temple and then you move out of the account of the temple back into him walking by the fig tree and his disciples notice that it has in fact been cursed, that it has died. And what, why this matters is because Jesus, or I should say God, often referred to his people as fig trees. Mm. Jeremiah 8, at the time of their punishment, they shall be brought down, says the Lord. I will surely snatch them away, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine and no figs on the fig tree, and the leaf will wither, and what I have given them will pass away. Micah 7, what misery is mine? I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. The day when you post your watchman, your punishment will come. And so many scholars will tell you that Jesus's first action as king, the people are finally recognized as king. His first action is to pass judgment on the religious leaders. He's looking at the religious leaders and he's saying, you fruitless, godless people with your rituals and your legalism, get out. Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. And at the same time, Mark, we, we see a parallel between the immediate incident that Jesus was dealing with and what's happening today, taking what is meant to be given over to holiness, you know, the temple, the house of God, and using it for man's wicked and greedy means. How do we respond to that in our day and age today as Christians? I mean, we're seeing this happen all over the place. Let me give a little bit more context. So there are two, three, four, five, even 10 times the amount of people that are inside the area. You would have to go on in and they would bring perhaps a, a dove, or they would bring some sort of an animal. If they were poor, it would be like a dove. And they're inside the court of the Gentiles, which is where all of these things took place. Anybody and everybody was allowed. So the priest would come along and they'd say, you know what? Hey, Gentiles, you know, we could even sell things here. It'd be fine. Yeah. And so they go there inside the court of the Gentiles. They go to the gate beautiful. And when you go past the gate beautiful, you would then have the court of the women. And there you would begin to see the first high priest that would, or the priest who would say, you know what, your death is unacceptable. I understand that you traveled X amount of distance, but you need to now go out to, go go see Larry. Larry out there is going to sell you a dove, and the dove is going to be at an exuberant price, yeah. right? So the priests were part of this. So the rebuke absolutely was towards the priests. And so when the animals and the, the different things were sold, the priests were making their money. And so Jesus, he overturns the tables, absolutely, with, uh, with authority. It says that he called on them. And, and what would happen? Like he said, get out. The same voice that called the world into existence here is bringing in judgment to the people here. Yeah. Five times the amount of people, 10 times the amount of people, there's a huge amount of people. They actually would expand the walls, if you would, there to allow everybody to, to be there. There's people in tents. There's people hanging out underneath the stars. We have the story of a blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, who's there, and he hears that Jesus is coming through. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus 
tells him to come here. And he says, your faith has made you well. This is a glimpse of what should be happening as the pilgrimage is taking place. By faith, they are offering up a sacrifice. And the Yom Kippur, that day of atonement, when the high priest would enter in and would offer up uh, the sacrifice, where the Gentiles wouldn't get a glimpse. They, wouldn't, they weren't able to see this take place. And here's blind Bartimaeus sitting there in the court of the Gentiles with 10 times the amount of people that are taking place. In Mark chapter 9. And Jesus could have went to him, but he said, you have him come to me. Hmm. And he throws off his outer tunic. He throws, literally throws off his sleeping bag. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. I cannot go back. I'm not going to find this outer tunic. I'm blind. I'm not going to come back to it. I am leaving everything I possibly can to go towards you. So Jesus says, Passover has taken place. He's heading over. And this is a, a momentous, joyful, joyous, exciting time. Just finishes dealing with blind Bartimaeus. And he sees the craziness of his father's house, a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of intimacy, a place where he is now going to get upset with righteous indignation, mm. and he overturns these tables. We see this today, to your question. We may not have an excess of products that we're trying to sell at churches, but as one person said, when we assemble for worship this weekend, no one will set up tables to exchange currency. No one will lead in their oxen in hopes of getting rich. No one will tote a cage of high-priced pigeons. But our decorations may be elaborate. Our attire may be elegant. Our music may be world-class. We may put exuberant energy into these things and make it an impressive spectacle. But if Jesus were to come, if he were to step into our churches this Sunday, he'd be looking for the rabble. Where are the misfits? Where are the socially marginalized, the outcasts? Where are the people being told to sit into the back of the pews because they don't have the finances to build the big church programs? And the point is this, that we do marginalize certain people to a certain extent. I'm not saying we do it all the time. I'm not saying we would even admit to it or confess to it, but there is a parallelism that certain types of people are allowed into the Holy of Holies mm. if you have something to offer the church. Mm. If you have a certain sort of occupation whatever you can do to maybe further my church building fun or whatever it is. And I would dare to say that Jesus would be there overturning the tables mm -hmm. and calling repentance to the church leaders and the people that are in charge. Wow. And the context is always the same, that God's house should be a house of prayer, a place of intimacy and fellowship where we can learn and grow together, esteeming each other greater than, greater than ourselves. That's good. Amen. Amen. So good, Mark. I love that you bring up the the reality of the outer temple. And I think that's really valuable because it was the outer temple in which they sold the sacrifices to non-Jews. As you were alluding to, non-Jews were not allowed inside the inner temple because they were not Jewish. One of the big pushbacks that Jesus was giving, he was like, look, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you're getting in the way of the worship of the non-Jewish person. You're fleecing the flock. They're here. They've traveled from afar because they wouldn't have lived in Israel. They've made it to the outer temple, and now you've turned it into a shopping mall, basically. Yeah. You're getting in the way of the worship of my people. Yeah. And Ray, 
the picture that's often given of Jesus is the the meek and kind of weak, mild Jesus with the lamb around his shoulders. I've often said when I've talked about this account, there may have been one flying through the air, but he definitely didn't have that little lamb around his shoulders at that moment. But righteous indignation, how does it play out in our lives as God's people today? How do we demonstrate? Because it says in scripture, be angry, right? But do not sin. So there's obviously a place for righteous indignation. Absolutely. Um, I was just thinking about most people that look on Jesus as being meek and mild Jesus don't realize that the first time he came, he came as a spotless lamb, harmless, mm. uh, to die for our sins. Second time he comes, he comes as a roaring lion in wrath to render his fury and his anger and his rebuke with flames of fire, the Bible says. So we see a little lion within the lamb at this point of time where his indignation came up and he cleared the temple. And we should be the same. And in fact, the whole thought that I just that Jesus cleared our temple when yeah. we were born again, He cleared cleared our temple of our love of money mm. and love of things other than God, so that we could be uh, clean in His sight. But yeah, we should be we should be indignant with great anger regarding the killing of babies in the womb mm. and uh, things that are an abomination to God that are being allowed within the house of God. But our anger should be channeled into a zeal that eats us up for the gospel. Yeah. Because that's the only way we're going to change this nation, is change this world, is through the power of the gospel. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw a great example of this in our modern day in terms of being provoked and then speaking the truth and calling people out. I mean, John the Baptist kind of... Sugar-coated the message? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sugar-coated his locusts, maybe. <laughs> but John the Baptist... He stood up when there was wickedness going on with Herod, and he called him to task on what he was doing with his, his brother's wife. But recently, Dr. John MacArthur wrote an open letter to the governor of our state here in California. And man, what a letter it was. And I, I saw that as an outworking of righteous indignation manifested in appropriate firmness laced with gracious love, calling him to account highlighting the wickedness of his ways, and then calling him to repentance and giving him the hope of the gospel. I mean, that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is a good outworking of, of how we demonstrate that righteous indignation. We must lift up our voices. We must speak. We need to be those who stand up and declare that abortion is murder. Mm. We need, you know, and there, there's, there have been brethren that have been going out to their city council meetings, and they've been standing up and calling people to account mm. on that and, and, and laying it out, but done so winsomely. There was a sister some time ago that was on a video that did that, mm. and it was just so powerful, but, but also laced with grace. There's a way to do that, isn't there, Oscar, where we, where we have that righteous indignation, but we don't sin in our anger. We yeah. don't take it to the level where we're now, you know, I've always said this, to deal with sin sinfully is sinful. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's clear in scriptures that we are called to fight for the minorities in our in in our time, in our place. And there is no greater minority out there right now than the unborn baby mm. who has currently little to no right to life. And yet while we do that, we recognize that we are pleading with the mothers, we are pleading with non-believers 
but we need to plead with them in a way that screams we love and we care. We love and care for these unborn babies and we love and care for what happens to your soul when you take someone's life. That's the reason we are standing up and talking to you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark, um, there are so-called churches that are endorsing abortion, right? I mean, there are denominations that, that wholesale are like saying, no, this is a woman. I, I, I would imagine Jesus would be overturning some tables in, in that sense as God and human flesh with these churches that are propagating these atrocities. Yeah, I mean, you can call yourself many things, but don't call yourself a Christian mm. if you believe that abortion is a woman's right. If you think that it's okay to murder an innocent human being, call yourself anything you want, but don't attach the word Christian uh, to that because it doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to something Ray said, uh, which reminds me, as I was reading the commentary, I was reading G.K. Beale's commentary on, on this passage. And he talks about three temple cleansings and Ray alluded to the third one. He talks about the first temple cleansing is the garden of Eden. The garden was a temple in which God dwells. Cause a temple is essentially a place in which God dwells on earth. It is a slice of heaven on earth. And that first temple was the garden of Eden, but it was sin who removed Adam and Eve from that garden. And then God brings himself down at the tabernacle and has his people build a temple. And now the slice of heaven is in that temple. And what we see the clearing of the temple, what GK Bill says is the clearing of the temple in the New Testament is God showing us that nobody is again good to be in here. But then in the, in the epistles, we see that the new temple is our bodies, that we are where God dwells through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the point that I think you were making earlier that we cannot miss is that every single one of us alive today needs our own clearing of the temple. We need the Holy Spirit to enter our lives, to turn over our money, our money changers, to, to flip over the tables, to crack the whip and to cleanse us so that we can be a place in which the Holy Spirit dwells, which will enable us to worship God from now and on into eternity. We all need that clearing in our own lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I can only imagine what was going write a on. Song. I can only imagine. <laughs> Why do you get him to sing? Louder. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. That blessed my soul. But as I think about what it must have been like for those who witnessed Jesus do that, it was enough that they would question him, by what authority do you do this? Mm. Or in whose name do you do this? You know, authority is really at the heart of just about everything that's done in life. Our entire faith is based on authority. The Catholic Church would say that the authority uh, resides with the church. We say the authority resides with the, the revealed word of God. And that was really at the crux of the whole Reformation. It either comes down to man's traditions and man's words, or it comes down to what God has revealed in Scripture. That's why Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other, unless you convince me by Scripture, by the word of God. But it all comes down to authority. You know, when we interact with people on the streets, ultimately, it comes down to authority. And we'll ask them this question, how do you know that? What do you base that on? And oftentimes, they're left speechless because they end up realizing that they're really their own authority. And at the end of the day, that's pretty much what they'll say. Well, that's what that, that's, that I came up with. <laughs> this is my thinking, you know? 
But Jesus spoke like no man spake. He, 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 he didn't speak like their religious leaders because he spoke like one having authority because he was God. And to me, this was in a way kind of the exclamation point on his authority because he wasn't just you know, saying, hey, don't do this to the temple. And he wasn't speaking in sort of human terms of, you know, this is my father's house, but this is my father's house. And, and it was that exclamation point on his authority. And I think a big takeaway from all of this is, man, we need to take seriously what Jesus takes seriously and to let that be evident in the way that we conduct our lives. I, I want to wrap up with this. This is from a Ligonier. It's in an article about the cleansing of the temple. They said, our Redeemer's cleansing of the temple at the very least illustrates how concerned he is with the purity of worship. Our corporate praise and prayer is something that is always in need of reformation, for it is easy for anti-Christian practices to slip unnoticed. Consider the importance of pure worship from a devoted heart and make it your aim to show reverence and awe when you praise the Lord alongside his people. And I think that's a, a good takeaway for us, Ray. That's one of the things, Ray, as we wrap up, that you have tried to bring to the attention of the church be careful how we alter God's truths to fit our own preferences, right? The modern gospel, the sinner's prayer paradigm, the whole life enhancement approach to the gospel. We've got to get back to what God has revealed. We laugh at how the Pharisees held on to the traditions for dear life, but we're just exactly the same. Mm. So many things that we think are biblical are just traditions of men, like sinner's prayer and the life enhancement gospel and the use of music and every head bowed and eye closed, no one's watching you, all this sort of stuff. But we've got to go back to the pattern. What does the scripture say? Yeah. The proclamation of the gospel is worship. At least that's what it should be. We've made it something other than that, but it really should come down to worship. And friends, on that note, it's going to take boldness. It's going to take courage. And that's why you've got to get so many lions, so few Daniels. We need more Daniels, don't we, Ray? Yep, absolutely. And you came up with that title because atheists put out a t-shirt, uh, so many Christians, so few lions, and that made me Oof. so angry. Oh, yeah. It's like saying so many blacks, so few lynching ropes. Oh. So many Jews, so few Nazi ovens. That's it's unbelievable. very wicked. So yeah. that book was written out of an indignation. Yeah, that's good. They I wouldn't, know that. They wouldn't say that about Muslims, would they, Dare? Oh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, only Christians. Well, friends, there you have it. Make sure to check that out along with the Evidence Study Bible at livingwaters.com. It's been a joy. What a blessing. I really enjoyed this, and it was, uh, it was just soul-stirring for me. So thanks for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast, where we have no idea what we're doing. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, 
Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters podcast.